July the 6th of 1928 is a red letter day in human history. Now you may be going back through your mind and trying to remember your history that you learned in school and saying, what was so significant about July the 6th of 1928? Wasn't that the day that they first aired the movie, The Lights of New York, the first all-talking full-length film at the Strand Theater in New York City? You're right, that is that day, but that isn't what I was talking about. Isn't that the day that Rene Lacoste defeated Henri Cochet to win the Wimbledon Championship? Well, it's also that day, but that's not what I'm thinking about either. July the 6th of 1928 is the day that Otto Rowetter introduced his newest invention at the Chillicothe Baking Company in Missouri. It was the sliced bread machine. It was the greatest day since sliced bread, right? Before this day, people were in darkness, having to use a bread knife to cut each piece of bread. And they left jagged edges and varying thicknesses. But now, mankind had stepped into the light and could have perfectly even slices of bread for all of their sandwich creations. It was the greatest day since sliced bread. Well, in our passage today, I want us to look at an even more important day in the history of bread. It was a day when five common loaves of bread were multiplied by the Son of God to feed an entire multitude of people. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd ask that you stand in honor of God's Word if you're able. We're going to be studying today in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. John 6, beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says, After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Thank you. You may 
be seated. Today we're going to continue our series called On the Mountain when we're looking at these various mountaintop experiences in the life and ministry of Jesus, these significant events that occurred on mountains, and today is a significant event, this passage that we're going to study. It's one of the most well-known miracle stories in Jesus' ministry, and it's a, an important day in which Jesus is, is not only showing the people what he's able to do, but he's proving to them that he is the Messiah. And so today, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us to understand that there is no problem in your life that's too big for your Savior. There's no problem in your life that's too big for your Savior. As we look at this passage, the first thing that we see is the sign that Jesus gives to them. In verses 2 and 3, it says that there's a huge crowd that was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. This means that word about Jesus is getting out. That there's this man from Galilee who can heal diseases. And you need to come see this guy. Now this is important because Jesus is going to teach everybody a lesson on this day. That yes, he has the power to, to heal sickness. But that's not the main reason that he's here. That Jesus is God the Son who has come down to earth to save the people from their sin. He's going to cure all of the ravishes of sin, including diseases. But he's more than just a healer. And this miracle is going to be a sign to the people that there's something greater about Jesus. In fact, he says there in verse 6, he says that he asked this to test him because he, him, he himself knew what he was going to do. And so Jesus already knows in his mind that he's going to show the people something significant about who he is and about why he's there. That there's no problem in your life that's too big for your Savior. So what is the sign that, that Jesus would give the people? When you look there in verse 4, it's, uh, John tells us, that the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Now, what you need to know about John's gospel is that John is very deliberate and very intentional about the language that he uses in his gospel. He's very deliberate even about the construction of his gospel. That's why it looks so different from the other three synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because John is arranging it thematically, and he is laying out a case about Jesus. In fact, if you look at the very end of John's gospel, he gives us his thesis statement in John 20, verses 30 and 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written, here he goes, these are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so John says, I have arranged my gospel and given you these signs. And that's a word that John uses all throughout his gospel, signs. He says, I've given you these signs so that you would know that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in him, you would have life. And so this is his purpose. And when you look through John's gospel, he gives a series of seven signs 
proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And this story is the fourth in that series. It's the fourth sign. John intentionally gives us details. And this detail here is an important one, that it occurred at the time of the Passover. And this is a significant detail because John is connecting the Passover with what is occurring in this miracle with Jesus. Now, when you read the Old Testament, we see that the the Passover is the time that the Hebrew people commemorated their flight from Egypt. It was the time when the 10th plague from God came upon the land. And on that night, the death angel, which was the wrath of God, poured out over the land. And God smote the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but the firstborn of the Israelites were passed over. That's why they called it the Passover. They were passed over if they had taken the blood of the sacrificial lamb and painted their doorposts as a sign of their faith in the Lord. And so if, if they were standing under the blood, they would be passed over. And so on that night, as this is occurring, the Hebrew people escaped and they fled in such a hurry that the bread didn't have time to rise. So when they would commemorate the Passover, they would do so using unleavened bread. And when they took this Passover meal, they were celebrating this historical event and giving thanks to God for delivering them and saving them by the blood of the lamb. And the Passover's unleavened bread, it's called matzah, it was a sign of God's deliverance, it was a sign of God's salvation for the people. Now, the bread that Jesus is multiplying to the crowd as a sign here in this passage is pointing the people also to God and of their need for him to deliver them and to save them from their sin. And so the bread here is a sign that Jesus is this Messiah, that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And that the people would be spared if they would stand under the blood of Jesus. Again, there's no problem in your life that's too big for your Savior. And so the, this sign that Jesus is, is giving to them here is an important sign. This sign also reveals the lack of, of faith of the people at this time. John tells us at the beginning of chapter 6 that the people were following Jesus because they had seen the sign, the previous sign, about him healing the sick. And so what he's, what he's telling us is that this isn't yet a, a faith necessarily in him as the Messiah. It was that he saw that he healed his neighbor and he says, I want to go be healed too. I want to go see who this, who this guy is. But even the disciples were still struggling with their faith at this time too. They still weren't sure about all that Jesus could do, about all that who Jesus was. In fact, Philip here, here, he doesn't seem to understand that Jesus can do anything. Right, the crowds start coming up there to where Jesus is with his disciples and Jesus looks, he says, well, where are we gonna get food to, to feed all these people? And Philip's response there in verse 7 is, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them just to have a little. 
And so Philip is, is trying to, to calculate it all up in his mind. He pulls out his, his abacus and is, you know, trying to figure out how they're going to do this. He knows that a denarius was about one, one day's wage. And so essentially what he's saying is that if, if we had a half a year's worth of wages here, we wouldn't have enough just to give them just a little bit of food. He looks out and, and it tells us that there are 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So that means there's probably 10 or 15 or 20,000 people there maybe, depending on how many kids they have. And so he looks out and he says, there, there is no way that this can happen. And that's because human ingenuity will only take us so far. Jesus says at another time in Matthew 19, 26, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. They hadn't recognized that yet about Jesus. Then there's Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and he, he, does, a, he does better than Philip did. He at least brings a, a solution to the problem. He finds this little boy and he comes to Jesus in verse nine. And he says, well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So essentially he walks up and he goes, hey, Jesus, here's all we got. I mean, here's this, but I mean, what good is this? That's what, that's what Andrew says. It reminds me of an old Southern gospel song that says, little is much when God is in it. This sign from Jesus of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes are showing us that he is the Messiah. That's what John tells us. And that he's showing us here that Jesus can take your little and do a lot with it if you'll trust him. Maybe you feel like you don't have a whole lot to offer the Lord. Maybe you feel like you're insignificant in the kingdom but Jesus can take your little and he can do a whole lot with it if we trust him. Because there's no problem in your life that's too big for your savior. So notice how Jesus supplies in this passage. We have a problem. The people are out in an isolated place, it says. They're far away from any fast food restaurants. I mean, they're probably way out in Carn somewhere. They can't find anything to eat. They're in need of food. So, so, so what is it that they're going to do? We all have problems in our life like this, don't we? It might not be this same problem, but we face issues when we don't know what to do. We don't know how this is going to work out. Maybe we're like Philip or Andrew, trying to solve it with our own human ingenuity. Say, hey, there's this, but I mean, this, what can we do with this? This isn't much. But there's no problem in your life that's too big for your Savior. Because Jesus' power transcends human problems. Notice what he does in verse 11. Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. So here's what happened. Jesus took this little boy's five loaves of bread and two fish and he prayed and he gave thanks to the father for providing for this multitude and he gathered the disciples together and he began to 
to break off the pieces of bread and break off the pieces of fish and he gave it to the disciples and they would go give it to the crowd. And before you knew it, they had fed five people and the bread hadn't run out and neither had the fish. And Jesus kept breaking it and he would give it to the disciples and they would go out. And the next thing you know, they had fed 50 people and the bread hadn't run out and neither had the fish. And Jesus kept breaking it breaking the bread, breaking the fish, giving it to the disciples and they would go out and give it to the crowd and they would come back and before you know it, they had fed 500 people and the bread hadn't run out and neither had the fish and Jesus keeps breaking the bread and giving it to the disciples and they would go give it to the crowd and they would come back and before you know it, they had fed over 5,000 people and the bread hadn't run out and neither had the fish. So how do you explain such a thing? I mean, mathematically, this doesn't make sense. Mathematically, this is impossible. And so for that reason, there are some skeptics who say, well, you know, there must have been a cave nearby where Jesus had, you know, like stored up 10,000 pieces of bread and 5,000 fish for this occasion, right? I find it easier to believe that Jesus multiplied loaves and bread than that he hid 10,000 pieces of bread in a cave somewhere, Right? And it wasn't just that they had a, a, a morsel either. If you look in verse 11, it says, Jesus took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. And when Matthew tells the story in Matthew 14, verse 20, he says, everyone ate and was satisfied. If you look down in verse 12 of our passage, it says, when they were full. So this is what happened. They all ate and they were filled. So the message behind the sign is this. Jesus will fill you. Jesus will satisfy your greatest need. And on that day, he met the need, the physical need, of all this multitude that had gathered. But he also showed it in a very personal sense to his disciples remember John gives us important details and clues in his gospel and so when you get to verse 13 he tells us they collected the baskets after they were all done the disciples went out and they collected what was left over and it says they filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten so he tells us the specific number of baskets that they brought back why is that important? Because there was 12 of them that were going out and collecting the leftovers, right? And so each and every one of these 12 disciples comes back with a whole basket full of bread and fish left over. And they're all standing in front of Jesus. And Jesus is saying to each and every one of them, I will meet your needs. I will supply for you also. I will fill you. That's good news today. It means that I can trust Jesus personally. That my biggest problem is not too big for God. That, that my smallest problem is not too small for God. That he's concerned with me individually and that I can trust in him. That he cares about you and he cares about you and he cares about you. He is concerned about your life. 
So that in, in, the, in the midst of pandemic, you can trust him. In the midst of nationwide unrest, you can trust him. In the midst of unjust treatment, you can trust him. In the midst of family problems, you can trust him. In the midst of uncertainty about your future, you can trust him. In all circumstance, you can trust him. In every circumstance, you can trust him. There's no problem in your life that's too big for your Savior. Which brings us to the final point in our passage today, that he is the Savior. And that's what the point of this miracle was. Jesus took these five loaves of bread and these two fish, he fed a multitude, and it says that the people were so impressed with Jesus that they were trying to overtake him and make him their king. In verse 15, John says, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The people liked having a a holy magician that could make food appear for them whenever they were hungry and whenever they they needed it. They could kind of get used to this sort of thing. They they liked having the bread king. That's that's what he says here. It was the same thing for the the crowd that was coming to him because they had witnessed the sign of the of the healing miracles. They say, we'd like to have this guy around that can heal us when we're sick, that can feed us when we're hungry. Let's make him king. But the, the multitude missed the point of the miracle. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus was certainly concerned with the people's hunger. He was concerned about their physical needs. In fact, in verse five, that's what prompted all this. He asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? And so Jesus was concerned about the fact that they were hungry, but he was trying to teach them a deeper spiritual truth in this miracle. It wasn't just about filling their bellies for a few hours. It was about filling them for eternity. When you look further in John chapter 6 and verse 26, the crowds find Jesus and they come to him and he says to them, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, Jesus uses the Greek word there, harao, which is translated as saw, where it says not because you saw the signs, but it really means to see and to perceive, to understand. And so what Jesus is saying in verse 26 is, I say you're coming to me, you're seeking me, not because you understood the sign." Not because you saw and perceived what the sign was about. You're just coming to me because you ate the loaves and were filled up. He says, you didn't get what the miracle was about. You're only coming because you want more food. (laughs) You're coming because you're seeking a, a physical answer from me. And so he begins to talk with the people. And he's using bread as a symbol throughout John chapter 6. And he comes to verse 30, and this is what Jesus says to the people, or uh, the people say to Jesus, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they ask. What are you going to perform? And so they say, all right, do something, do some other sign so that we can see and, and understand. What are you going to do for us? 
And in verse 31, they gave him a suggestion, right? They say, well, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so they say, you know, it's a pretty good miracle in the Old Testament that maybe you could do when he gave manna. He gave us bread every day then. Won't you do that one? They seem to forget that their ancestors really got tired of the manna and complained about it every day. But Jesus says to them in verse 32, truly I tell you that Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so Jesus is is showing them a deeper spiritual truth here. He's saying it's not really about bread here. We're talking about the real bread of heaven is the one who comes down and is going to give you life. And now all of a sudden, you know, they kind of got a sparkle in their eye and they said, boy, that sounds even better than maybe real bread. That we could have, that we could have life. And so they say in verse 34, sir, give us this bread always. That's, that's the bread that we really want. The one that's going to give us life. And what does Jesus say in verse 35? I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. So Jesus' response to them is this. I'm the bread of life. I'm the savior of the world. I'm the one who can really fill you. I'm the one who can satisfy the need that you have that's even greater than physical hunger. I can satisfy your spiritual hunger and poverty. The people are still kind of unsure. What what should we do? How how should we respond to, to Jesus? And so Jesus presses them even further in verse 53. He says to them, truly I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Whoa. Now he's talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. I mean, he's, he's, he's making this difficult here. In verse 54, he says, The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So what is Jesus saying here? He's showing them what he's about to do. That he's going to sacrifice his own body. That he's going to shed his own blood for their salvation. That he would be the Passover lamb. That his blood would cleanse them and would provide forgiveness. That his body would serve as a substitute for them in death. That he could save them from their sins. And he says to them that they'll have no part in him unless they place their faith in his sacrifice on the cross to save them. That if we don't eat his flesh and drink his blood metaphorically by placing our faith in Jesus as Savior, then we don't have life. So Jesus is showing them that we've got an even bigger problem than we realized because of our sin. That our sin had separated us from God and that we needed a savior to come and to reconcile us to God. We needed a savior who could pay the price for what we've done. And here he is offering his body and his blood 
on our behalf because there's no problem in your life that's too big for your Savior. There are some today in this room or who are watching online and today you may realize that I like Jesus. He seems to do nice things. He provides, he heals. But today, perhaps, just like these people in this, in this story, you realize that there's a bigger problem in your heart. You realize that there's a greater need that you have than being filled up with food, that you need to be filled up spiritually, that you need to be forgiven of your sin. And the only way that you can do that is by trusting in Jesus' death and sacrifice on the cross for you. The only way that you can do that is by believing that he was raised from the dead, conquering sin and death and hell for you and for me. And today you can be forgiven of your sins. Today you can be reconciled to the Father because of what the Son did for us. And so maybe this is a decision that you need to make in your heart today. In a minute, we're gonna have a time of response and we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing together. If this is a decision you need to make in your heart, then I wanna encourage you to step out if you're here in the sanctuary and and head to the back. There are gonna be leaders at the doors at the back of the sanctuary that are there to talk with you and to pray with you about what it means to know Jesus and to follow after him. If you're watching online or even in the room, you can pick up your phone and you can text the word DECIDE to the number 865-234-3241 and we'll text back with you and, and, and follow up with you about this decision and what it means to know Jesus and to follow after him. And so this is a decision that you need to make today to call on Jesus as your savior. I wanna encourage you to do that because John says this is why he wrote his gospel. He says these things are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. And my prayer is that each and every one of us would have that life through our trust in Jesus as our savior. Christians today, as we think about this passage of scripture, we've been reminded that Jesus can take your little and he can do a lot if we'll trust him with it. So what is it that we need to trust him with today? Maybe there are things going on in your life that you need to to come and lay before the Lord. You can do that there at your seat. You can do that even here at the altar. But to say, Jesus, I know that there's no problem that's too small. There's no problem that's too big for my Savior. And today you want to trust him with those things in your life. But however God's speaking to you today, now is the time for us to be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, we give you thanks today for your word and for how you speak to us, Lord, for the challenge that you put before us. God, I'm thankful that you're more than a healer. You're more than one who can multiply bread, but you're our savior. Lord, that you came to save us from our greatest need, our greatest problem, which is our sin that separates us from you. And that you were willing to offer your flesh and your blood to save us. And so God, I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they would call on Christ as Savior and that they would give their life to follow him as Lord and that they would be born again this morning. 
Lord, for Christians, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, as you show us that you can handle anything that's before us. Lord, that there's nothing too great for you. And so, Lord, we trust you in all things and everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.